Hi, everybody. Carla here. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. Let's continue with Ernest J. Gaines, A Gathering of Old Men. This chapter is called Sully. From Marshall to the Bayou Michel is about 10 miles, 5 miles along the St. Charles River, and then you turn off the highway onto a blacktop road for another 5 miles. The Bayou Michel is then on your right, and houses on the left are facing the bayou. The road and the bayou twist and turn like a snake. There's never more than a couple hundred yards of straight road before you have to go around another curve. This was Cajun country. You had a few other whites, a few blacks, but mostly Cajuns with names like Giraud, Bonaventura, Mouton, Montmart, Botan, Brassard, Guerin, Hebert, Boudreaux, Landreau, all Cajun names. There were people back here with names like Smith and Kelly, and they claimed to be Cajuns too, their fathers having married Cajun women. The blacks on the bayou also spoke the Cajun French as well as English. This was Gill's country. I had come back here with him a half dozen times before, and it had always been pleasant. We would go hunting or fishing or just visit some of the people. Gill loved all the people back here, and they all loved him, white and black. He would shake a black man's hand as soon as he would a white man's, and the blacks would beam with pride when he did. But today I had not seen one black man, woman, or child since we left Marshall. Gil, with his arm in the window, was looking out out at the trees along the Bayou Michel. Most of the trees were weeping willows, their long, limp branches brushed against the ground and the surface of the water. Every now and then you would see a cypress, a sycamore, or some other kind of tree, but mostly willows and lots of bushes. When there was a little space between the trees and bushes, you could see the dirty, brown, shallow water. No form of life was on the water itself. No animals, no birds, nothing green, only twigs and dry leaves that had fallen from the trees along the bank. Gil was looking out of the window at the bayou, but never saying anything. He had not said a single word to me since we left Marshall. We were coming up to his folks' place now, a great big white frame house with a screened-in porch and screen over the doors and windows. There were quite a few cars and trucks parked in front of the place, so we had to go maybe a hundred yards before we could find room to park. Then we got out and walked back. I saw a tall, sandy-haired fellow standing by a car watching us. He smiled as we came back. Gilly, he said. Russ, Gil said. Gil nodded toward me. This is Sully. Russ nodded. I nodded back. We shook hands. Gil started looking around at all the trucks and cars parked before the house. A half dozen men stood around one of the trucks in the yard. Waiting for you inside, Russ said to Gil. You coming in? Gil asked him. I have to keep your daddy back here, Gil, Russ said. I'd like for you to come in if you don't mind. Gil said, sure, if if you want me to, Russ said. 
He reached into the car to get a necktie hanging over the stem of the rearview mirror. After he had made a good knot and drawn it tight, he stuffed his white shirt nearly into his gray pants, neatly into his gray pants, and reached back into the car to get his coat off the seat. The coat had been covering a revolver, a wooden-handled 38 Special. He looked at the revolver a moment, then he put it inside the dash drawer and slammed the door shut. He passed his fingers through his long, sandy hair, and we went into the yard. The men in the yard spoke to Gil, but in a quiet, subdued way. You could see just how much he was the hero among them, but there was no enthusiasm today. Gil nodded to most of them and shook hands with only a couple of them, but he did not stop to talk. The men didn't say anything to me or Russ. I stuck close behind Gil, and Russ was a step or two behind me. As we came up on the porch, I could hear people talking inside the house. Gil pulled the screen door and pushed open the wooden door, and we came into a room where there were at least three dozen people, men, women, small children, all speaking either Cajun French or English. Bonjour, Gilbert, a little girl said to Gil. Gil leaned over and kissed her. He shook hands with a couple more people. Then he asked about his father. A big man wearing khakis nodded toward a door to the right. Russ and I followed Gil through the door and into another room. This room was not as crowded, maybe a dozen people. All men except two women and a little boy. The two women sat on a four-poster brass bed which had a mosquito net at the head of it. One of the women had her head down and was crying and the other one had her arm around her. Fix Botan was sitting in a soft chair by the window, and the little boy was in his lap. Fix was a short man with a big head, broad shoulders, thick chest, and big hands. He had practically no neck at all, and his big head sat on his shoulders the way a volleyball sits on a bench. He must have just come from the barbershop because his gray hair was cut close on the sides, brushed straight back on top, and I could smell as well as see the oil in his hair. He probably had gone to the barber to get himself all prettied up for the big game the next day. He squinted up at Gil when we came into the room, and you could see that he had been crying. You got here, he said. Yes, Papa, Gil said, and kissed him on the side of the face. Gil passed his hand over the head of the little boy who sat in Fix's lap. Then he turned to the women on the bed. One could have been in her late teens. The other one was in her mid or late twenties. She was the one crying. Gil leaned over and kissed her. He'd said something to her that I couldn't understand. Then after speaking to the younger woman, he spoke and shook hands with two or three other men in the room. The men shook hands, nodded, and spoke quietly. Gil turned back to fix. Papa, I know this is a family matter, but Sully drove me down from Baton Rouge and I asked Russ to come in too. Fix nodded to me. It was not the most enthusiastic nod I had ever received, but I could understand after what had happened today. He looked at Russ, but he didn't speak or nod to him. He looked back at Gil. Why are you so late getting here? I went by Marshall, Papa. You see him? They had already taken him to Bayonne. The woman on the bed who was crying lowered her head more. The other woman held her close. Fix looked at the two women and looked back at Gil. The little boy in Fix's lap, who was four or five, laid his head against Fix's chest. Gil sat on the bed beside the woman and clasped his hands and looked down at the floor. 
Fix and the other men watched him. Well, Fix said when Gil had not said anything for a while. He doesn't want you there, Papa, Gil said, looking up at Fix. Fix squinted back at Gil. Several of the other men mumbled among themselves. Fix raised a hand, not very high, and the men respected it. Don't want me where? Fix asked Gil. Marshal or Bayonne? Until he sends for you, Gil said. Mapes is crazy, one of them said. He's got to be crazy, someone else said. My boy laying dead in the morgue, shot down like a dog, and Mapes don't want me in Bayonne? Fix asked Gil. He's crazy, one of the men said. Fix looked at the man to shut him up. Fix had small, dark pig eyes, and he didn't have to look at you very long or very hard to shut you up. He looked back at Gil. Mate still at Marshall? Yes, Papa, Gil said. What's he doing at Marshall? Fix asked. Talking to the people, Gil said. Talking to the people about what? He don't know who did it? He thinks Matthew did it. But why should Matthew kill my boy? He came, he claimed Bo came into his yard with a gun. What for? Fix asked. He came after Charlie. He came with a gun. And Matthew killed him for that? Fix asked. That's what Mapes believes. Ain't we wasting time, Fix? A big, rough-looking guy standing in the back of the room asked Fix. He wore one of those Hawaiian shirts with all the red and blue and yellow flowers on it. The tail of the shirt was out of his pants. He stood next to another rough-looking guy who wore a brown short-sleeved shirt. Both wore khaki pants. Luke Will, Fix said. You might have been a friend of Bo's, but you're not a member of this family, and you don't speak. I was closer than a friend. Luke Will said. I was a good friend. We had a beer last night. You still don't speak, Fix told him. I speak. My sons speak. I tell you when to speak. That's clear, Luke Will? I still say we're wasting valuable time, Luke Will said. You better go out, Luke Will, if you can't control your mouth, Fix told him. Luke Will didn't move. Fix looked at him a while, and then he looked at the other big, rough-looking guy in the brown shirt, warning him, too. Fix turned back to Gil, sitting on the bed. Well, Fix said to him, Can I say something, Papa? Gil said. I'm waiting, Fix said. Papa, Gil said, and leaned a little forward on the bed to look at him. Papa, he said again, but he didn't say any more. Fix looked at Gil and patted the little boy on the leg. The little boy wore short blue pants and a white t-shirt. He didn't have on any shoes. Well, Fix said to Gil. Papa, Gil said, I went to Marshall. You said that, Fix said. I saw something over there, Papa. Something you, I... None of us in this room has ever seen before. A bunch of old black men with shotguns, Papa. Old men your age, Perrain's age, Monsieur Auguste's age, all with guns, Papa, waiting for you. Niggers with shotguns waiting for me? Fix asked. His dark pig-like eyes opened just a little bit wider. He squeezed the little boy closer to his chest. 
15 and maybe even more, Gil said, and Mapes there with a pump gun, all waiting for you. Then let's accommodate Mapes and his niggers, someone else said. Papa, Gil said, without ever looking around at the other person. Old men, Papa, cataracts, hardly any teeth, arthritic, old men, old black men, Papa, who have been hurt, who wait not for you, Papa, what you're supposed to represent. Ask Sully, tired old men trying hard to hold up their heads. What are you trying to say, Gibert? Fix asked him. Gil looked up at me to help him out. Sully, please tell him, he said. I'm not talking to your friend here, Gibert. I'm talking to you, Fix said. Papa, Gil said. He rubbed his knuckles of both fists, trying to figure out a way to say it. When it came to running that ball, he ran it as well as anybody I'd ever seen in my life. But trying to tell his father what he felt inside of him was the hardest thing for him to do. Papa, he said, leaning toward Fix with his hands clasped together. Fix waited. Papa, Gil said, all my life I have heard what my family have done to others. I hear it today from the blacks, from the whites. I hear it from the opponents even when we play in another town. Don't tackle me too hard because they would have to answer to the rest of the Botans. It hurts me to hear that, Papa. It hurts me in here, he said, hitting his chest. It hurts me because I know it's not true. What are you trying to say, Gibert? Fix said. Get to the point. Papa, Gil said, rubbing his knuckles again. Papa... I want to be an All-American at LSU. I have a good chance, Cal and me. The first time ever, black and white, in the Deep South. I can't make it without Cal, Papa. I depend on him. Every time I take that ball, I depend on his block or his faking somebody out of my way. I depend on him, Papa, every moment I'm on that field. Fix watched him. Gil looked down at the floor, biting his bottom lip. Fix waited. The rest of the people waited. If anybody was breathing, they were doing it quietly. The little boy in Fix's lap laid his head against Fix's chest and sucked his thumb. Everybody waited for Gil to go on. The woman on the bed who had been crying was quiet. The younger woman kept her arm around her. The people in the other room were not talking as much as before. Gil looked up at Fix. I couldn't make All-American, Papa if I was involved in something against the law, he said. Even if our name was involved, the Yankee press would destroy me. Gil leaned closer toward his father. Papa, I'm not putting things right. I'm not saying what I want to say, but do you understand what I'm trying to say? Do you understand, Papa? What about your brother, G-Bear? Fix asked, those little dark pig eyes looked deadly at Gil. What about Bo? I loved my brother, Papa. He was much older than me, but we were very close. He taught me everything I know about fishing and hunting. I loved my brother, Papa, but Bo is dead. Nothing we can do will bring him back. You understand what I'm trying to say, Papa? Fix's little dark pig eyes still looked deadly at Gil. You through, Gibert? He asked him. 
Papa, I won't go along, Gil said, shaking his head. You can beat me, but I won't go along. I ask if you threw, Gilbert. You threw? Gil took in a deep breath and nodded his head, and he looked down at the floor. What do you think of our great all-American there, Alphonse? Fix asked. Huh? A goose? He was speaking to the two old men sitting over to his right, but he was still looking at Gil. Neither of the old men answered him. One shrugged his shoulders, but the other one didn't even do that much. And you, Claude? Fix looked up at the man standing near the foot of the bed. Claude was Gil's older brother. He drove a truck for an oil company in Lafayette. He was a big guy, 6'2", 6'3", with jet black curly hair. He wore khakis, and you could see the sweat marks in the back of the shirt and around the armpit. He was cleaning his fingernails with a small pearl-handled knife. Even after Fix had spoken to him, he went on cleaning his fingernails. Whatever you say, Papa, he answered without looking at Fix. Fix nodded his head. Jean? Jean was another of Gil's brothers. He didn't look anything like Gil or Claude, or Fix either for that matter. He was short like Fix, but too pale. He was probably in his mid-thirties. He wore a black striped seersucker suit, a white shirt, and a little bow tie. He glanced around nervously at the people nearest him. Then he moved closer to Fix's chair. Fix was looking up at him and patted the little boy on the leg. Papa, we ought to talk, Jean said. Then talk. What will we do when we go to Bayonne, Papa? Who will go to Bayonne? You you don't want to go to Bayonne? Fix asked him. I live in Bayonne, Papa, Jean said. My butcher shop is in Bayonne. But who else is going to Bayonne? He looked around at the men in the room, then back to Fix again. And for what reason, Papa? I go to see my boy, Fix said. And your brother. And the rest of these, Papa, Jean said, nodding toward the men in the back of the room. Why are they going to Bayonne? Your brother was brutally murdered today, Fix said. You forget so easily, Jean? No, Papa, I don't forget so easily, Jean said. I won't ever forget this day, ever. But Gilly is right. We have the law out there to do what many of these people would like to see us do. Some of these people in this room with us right now. These people are your friends, my friends, Bo's friends. If they're friends of the family, show respect to the family. Stay out of Bayonne until Mates has cleared this up. Mapes will never clear this up, Luke Will said from the back of the room. Bo's been dead for hours, shot down like a dirty dog, and Mapes hasn't done a thing about it. Don't y'all listen to Luke Will, Russ said. Russ had been standing next to me, and he had been quiet all the time. Don't listen to him. All he and that gang want is trouble. What gang's that, Russell? Luke Will asked. You know what gang, Russ said, still looking at Fix. Scared to call their names? Luke Will asked him. He grinned, a real mean grin, the kind of grin that comes from just the corner of the mouth. Everybody in here know who I'm talking about, Russ said. He never looked at Luke Will. Don't listen to Luke Will, Fix. He's no friend. He's a friend, Fix said. Give the word, Fix, Luke Will said. What word is that, Luke Will? Fix asked, looking back at him. We go to Marshall. That's my decision to make, Luke Will, and my son's, not yours. Luke Will nodded again.
All right, Fix, I'll wait your decision. Then I'll go to Marshall. Don't try it, Russ said, looking back at him for the first time. Luke Will grinned at Russ. He was one of those big, hulking, beer belly rednecks. He had long, brown hair, and when he grinned from the side of his mouth, I could see that some of his teeth were missing. The guy standing next to him didn't look any better than Luke Will did, but at least he kept his mouth shut. I won't have none of that in my house, Fix said. And you, Russell, I would be quiet if I were you. I'll do anything to keep you back here, Fix, Russ said. And that goes for the rest of you, he said, looking around the room. He looked back at Fix. I mean it, Fix, he said. I have my orders. Russell, Fix said, pointing his finger at him. You can't keep me back here. Only my sons can keep me back here. You remember that. Jean and Gilly were right, Russ said. Luke Will is wrong. Luke Will wants trouble. In my house, I say what is right and what is wrong, Fix said, raising his voice now. He held the little boy with the left hand while he pointed the right hand at Russ. I decide. Me, William, Fix, Botan, I decide. He stared at Russell to see if he had any more to say. Russ looked down at him but remained quiet. Fix turned to the old men sitting to his right. Both sat in their chairs, erect as boards, listening but staying quiet. The one nearest Fix wore a clean, ironed white shirt and khaki pants. His hat was on his knee. The other one wore a Hawaiian shirt with about six different colors in it. He wore white pants and his hat hung on the back of his chair. What should I do, Alphonse? Fix asked the one nearest him. His voice was calm again. I go along whatever you decide, Fix, the old man said. Eh, Goose? Fix asked the other one. I'm an old man, Fix, Auguste said. I don't know who is right and who is wrong anymore. I'm an old man too, Fix said. Twenty years ago, I wouldn't. I would not have asked questions. I would have been at Marshall by now. I would have been at Marshall with you twenty years ago, Fix. They're old as we are, Fix said. They're waiting for me, according to this all-American here. Old men with guns waiting for me. With guns, Fix. But isn't that a farce? Auguste said. And bow on that cold slab in Bayonne. Eh, Goose, is that a farce also? I christened him, Auguste said. I'm his parade. You must know how I feel. Ain't we wasting time, Fix? Luke Will asked from the back of the room again. Jean and Gibert say no, Luke Will. Even my good friend A Goose says no. A Goose is an old man and don't have all his senses, Luke Will said. Gilly and John want to keep their good names with the niggers. Gilly want to play football with the niggers, mess around with them little stinky nigger cows. Beat old Miss tomorrow, that's what he wants. As for Mr. John there, he has to sell his hog guts and cracklings to the niggers. No decent white man would buy him. Is that so, Gibert? Fix asked Gil. Your brother's honor for the sake to play football side by side with the niggers, is that so? Luke Will's days are over with Papa, Gil said. Luke Will's days are past, gone forever. And mine? Fix asked him. Mine, G-Bear? Those days are gone, Papa, Gil said. Those days when you just take the law in your own hands. Those days are gone. Those are the 70s, soon to be the 80s. Not the 
these are the 70s, soon to be 80s, not the 20s, the 30s, or the 40s. People died. People we knew died to change those things. Those days are gone forever, I hope. What day is gone, Gibert? Fixed asked him. The day when family responsibility is put aside for a football game? Is that the day you speak of, Gibert? I'm not speaking of family responsibility, Papa, Gil said. I'm speaking of the day of the vigilante. I'm speaking of Luke Will's idea of justice. So I'm a vigilante now, huh, Gibert? Fix asked him. That's what Luke Will wants us to do, Gil said. He and his gang still think the world needs them. The world has changed, Papa. Luke Will and his gang are a dying breed. They need a cause like this to pump blood back into their dying bodies. And Bo? Luke Will asked Gil. He had to speak to Gil's back because Gil would not give him the respect of looking round at him. Bo, Luke Will said again. He's more alive than I am at the moment. Well, Gibert, Fix asked. Bo is dead and I'm sorry, Papa. Gil said, but I would like people to know we're not what they think we are. They all expect us to ride tonight. They're all waiting for that. I say let them wait. Let them wait and wait and wait. And you there, Mr. Butcher of Hall Gut Fame, Fix said, looking up at Jean. They want something to happen, Jean said, wiping his face with a handkerchief. He wiped the palms of his hands and put the handkerchief back. I go along with Gilly. Fix looked up at him, nodding his head. Then he looked around the rest of the people in the room. And the rest of you, how you feel? He asked. You feel that this this butcher and this, this all-American got a point? We're wasting time, Luke Will said. No one else spoke out. They only mumbled among themselves. Neither Russ, Claude, nor I said anything. I was not about to open my mouth. Well, Gibert, Fix asked. They'll listen to you, Papa, Gil said. Make them see that it'll hurt the family. It'll hurt our name. But especially yours, huh, Mr. All-American? It would hurt me, Papa, yes. Fix looked from Gil to the woman sitting on the bed with her head bowed. She had been quiet for a long time, but never once raised her head to look at anyone. Fix looked at the little boy in his lap and patted him on the leg. You know this little boy I'm holding here? He asked, looking back at Gil. Tebow, no more Papa. He looked at Gil a while to let those words make an impression. Then he nodded toward the woman on the bed. You know that lady sitting there? Dowsett? Huh? No more husband. I'm sorry, Papa, Gil said. I'll do all I can for Tebow and Dowsett. Sure you will. Fix said, we all will. But now her husband, his papa, your brother, lay dead on a cold slab in Bayonne, and we do nothing but sit here and talk. Well, Gibert? Gil lowered his head and didn't answer. I wait, I wait. I wait for all my sons, but especially for you, the one we sent to LSU, the only one in the family to ever go to LSU, the only one to ever get a high education, the educated one, Alphonse, Agus. We wait for Mr. Educated All-American. And what does he say? He says, don't move. He says, sit, weep with the women because he wishes to be an All-American. 
The other one I can understand. He must sell his hog guts. He never was bright, and elementary education was his schooling. But this one, all the way to the university. We're doing nothing but wasting time here, Fix, Luke Will said again. Mapes needs help. I won't go without my sons, Fix said. All my sons. There will be no split in this family. This is family. Family. The majority or none. And let those niggers stand there with their guns and we don't accommodate them. They want war. Let's give them war, Luke Will said. A couple of the other men agreed with him. I'm not interested in your war, Luke Will, Fix told him. I'm only interested in my family. If the majority feels their brother is not worth it, then the family has spoken. I'm only interested in my family. Gil raised his head to look at his father. He was crying. I'm sorry, Papa, he said. Sorry, G-Bear? About what, G-Bear? Everything? No, explain, G-Bear. For what happened, Papa, for Bo, for all of us, that you think I've gone against you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those old men at Marshall. Yes, Papa, I'm sorry for them, too. A regular Christ, Fix said. He made the sign of the cross. A regular Christ in our midst. Alphonse, Agus, feel sorry for the entire world. The two old men, very thin, sat as erect as boards and remained quiet. Fix continued to look at Gil. Then his head began moving back and forth, back and forth so slightly, though, that it was almost unnoticeable. The longer he looked at Gil, the more his head moved back and forth. His dark pig eyes narrowed to where they were narrowed to where they were almost closed. He was still looking at Gil, looking at him as though all trust and belief and hope had vanished. Now he jerked his head toward him. Leave, Gibert, he said. Go on. This is your mon's bed you sit on, where you were born, where Bo was born, where all you were born. Now you desecrate the bed with your body upon it. Go block, go run the ball. Well, Gibert, Fix asked. Bo is dead and I'm sorry, Papa, Gil said. But I would like people to know we're not what they think we are. They expect us to ride tonight. They're all waiting for that. I say let them wait. Let them wait and wait and wait. And you there, Mr. Butcher of Hog Gut fame? Fix said, looking up at John. They want something to happen, John said, wiping his face with a handkerchief. He wiped the palms of his hands and put the handkerchief back. I go along with Gilly. Fix looked up at him, nodding his head. Then he looked around at the rest of the people in the room. And the rest of you, how you feel? He asked. You feel that this, this butcher and this, this all-American got a point? We're wasting time, Luke Will said. No one else spoke out. They only mumbled among themselves. Neither Russ, Claude, nor I said anything. I was not about to open my mouth. Well, Gibert? Fix asked. They'll listen to you, Papa, Gil said. 
Make them see that it'll hurt the family. It'll hurt our name. But especially yours, huh, Mr. All-American? It would hurt me, Papa, yes. Fix looked from Gil to the woman sitting on the bed with her head bowed. She had been quiet a long time, but never once raised her head to look at anyone. Fix looked at the little boy in his lap and patted him on the leg. You know this little boy I'm holding here? He asked, looking back at Gil. Tebow, no more Papa. He looked at Gil a while to let those words make an impression. Then he nodded toward the woman on the bed. You know that lady sitting there? Dowsett, huh? No more husband. I'm sorry, Papa, Gil said. I'll do all I can for Tebow and Dowsett. Sure you will, Vic said. We all will. But now her husband, his Papa, your brother, lay dead on a cold slab in Bayonne, and we do nothing but sit here and talk. Well, Gibert? Gil lowered his head and didn't answer. I wait. I wait. I wait for all my sons, but especially for you, the one we sent to LSU, the only one in the family to ever go to LSU, the only one to ever get a high education, the educated one, Alphonse, Agus. We wait for Mr. Educated All-American. What does he say? He says, don't move. He says, sit, weep with the women because he wishes to be an all-American. The other one I can understand. He must sell his hog guts. He was never bright, and elementary education was his schooling. But this one, all the way to the university. We're doing nothing here but wasting time, Fix, Luke Will said again. Mapes needs help. I won't go without my sons, Fix said. All my sons. There will be no split in this family. This is family, family, the majority or none. And let those niggers stand there with guns and we don't accommodate them? They want war. Let's give them war, Luke Will said. A couple of other men agreed with him. I'm not interested in your war, Luke Will, Fix told him. I'm only interested in my family. If the majority feels their brother is not worth it, then the family has spoken. I'm only interested in my family. Gil raised his head to look at his father. He was crying. I'm sorry, Papa, he said. Sorry, Gibert? About what, Gibert? Everything. No, explain, Gibert. For what happened, Papa? For Bo, for all of us. That you think I've gone against you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those old men at Marshall. Yes, Papa, I'm sorry for them too. A regular Christ, Fix said. He made the sign of the cross. A regular Christ in our midst, Alphonse, a goose. Feel sorry for the entire world. The two old men, very thin, sat as erect as boards and remained quiet. Fix continued to look at Gil. Then his head began moving back and forth back and forth so slightly though that it was almost unnoticeable the longer he looked at Gil the more his head moved back and forth his dark pig eyes narrowed to where they were almost closed he was still looking at Gil looking at him as though all trust and belief and hope had vanished now he jerked his head towards him leave Gibert 
he said. Go on. That is your mom's bed you sit on, where you were born, where Bo was born, where all you were born. Now you desecrate the bed with your body upon it. Go block. Go run the ball. Let it take the place of family. Let it bring flowers to that cemetery, La Toussaint. I don't wish to see you in this house or that cemetery. Go. Go run the ball. Gil could not believe what he was hearing. None of us could. He stared at his father, wanting to say something, but he could not. Fix's small, dark eyes and his broad, sunburnt face assured Gil that he meant every word he spoke. Fix! The old man nearest him leaned forward and touched him on the arm. Fix! he said. I'm dead, Alphonse, Fix said. The one we worked for, hoped for, sacrificed for. I may as well go lay beside Matilda. You're not dead, Fix the old man said. They say I am, the all-American and the butcher. They say my ideas are all past. They say to love family, to defend family honor is all past. What is left? All my life, that is all I found worthwhile living for. My family, my family. No, there's only one place left to go now, to the cemetery there in Bayonne, Bo and me beside Matilda. I'll go to Marshall with you, Fix, the old man said. His face did not show much emotion, and the long, bony finger touching Fix's arm did not show too much life, either. I'll take my gun, and I'll go with you if that is your wish, he said. Two old men, Alphonse? A Goose was right. This is a farce. Others will join us, I'm sure. Godu will join us. He has fire in him still. Montmartre? Felix Richard? Anatoly will get out of that chair. This is family, Alphonse, Fix told him. I have no other cause to fight for. I'm too old for causes. Let Luke Will fight for causes. This is family. A member of the family has been insulted. The, fam the family must seek justice. But these, they say no. They say it is past when man must live for his family. So what else is, is, is left but to go lay in that cemetery with Bo and Matilda? He looked at Gil sitting on the bed. I told you to leave. Take your brother, Mr. Hoggut, with you. I don't wish to see either of you ever again. Go, change your name if that'll help you be All-American. Get out of my house. Go tell your friend Mapes this old Cajun will come to Bayonne at the law's convenience. Now, I have no more to say. He took a big red print handkerchief from his back pocket and blew his nose. He put the handkerchief back and held the little boy close to his chest and looked down at the floor. Gil stood up and turned to his brother Claude. Claude was scraping one of his thumbnails with the little pearl-handled knife. Claude? Gil pleaded with him. Claude! Claude went on scraping his thumbnail without answering Gil. He wouldn't even raise his head. Gil turned to one of the old men, old Alphonse. Perrain, he said. Haven't I been a good boy, Perrain? Haven't I always obeyed my father and obeyed you? When I come home to visit my father, don't I visit you and all the rest of the people on the bayou? Don't I go to mass with the family? Don't I get tickets so all of you can attend the games? Don't I, Perrain? The old man looked at Fix, not at Gil. Monsieur Auguste, Gil said to the other old man. Aren't I a good boy, Monsieur Auguste? But the old man only stared across the room. Delset, 
Gil said to the woman on the bed. You don't like me anymore, Dalset? You don't want Tebow to be like me anymore, Dalset? Huh? Dalset? The woman kept her head down and did not answer him. Gil looked around the room. The only people to look back at him were Luke Will and the other rough-looking guy, and they were not friendly looks, not by a long shot. Gil turned back to Fix. Fix sat in the chair, head bowed, slumped a little forward, like a stone bear. Beat me if you want to, Gil said. I'll get the whip. Beat me if you want to, but don't send me away from this house. Don't send me away from home, Papa. Fix sat there like stone. He was not hearing anything anymore. Russ put his arm around Gil's shoulders and led him out of the room, with me a step behind them. The people in the other room had already heard what had happened, and, and they were not looking at Gil the way they did when he first came there. They gave him plenty of room to pass this time, and I saw a woman holding back the same little girl who had spoken to him before and wanted to come to him again. The little girl struggled and struggled, but the woman held her back, pressing the girl's head against her thigh. We pushed our way out onto the porch. Through the screen, I could see the sun going down behind the trees on the other side of the bayou. A thin purple cloud lay across the sun, making the sky look like a nice, serene painting. You had to do what you did, Russ said. I could have run the other way, Gil said. And that would have been better? Russ asked him. It couldn't be any worse, Gil said. While we stood out on the porch, Luke Will and that other rough-looking guy came out there. If you think this is the end of it, you're crazy, Luke Will said to Gil. Get out of here, Luke Will, Russ said. You don't speak for this family. Somebody better do it, Luke Will said. Nobody voted for you, Russ said. Maybe I'll just take it as my duty on principle, Luke Will said. I don't want no trouble out of you, Luke Will, Russ said. Stay away from Marshall and stay out of Bayonne. I'm warning you. You don't scare me, Russell, Luke Will said. You or that fat, fat belly of a boss you got there don't scare me the least. Just don't start any trouble, Russ said. I'm warning you. The trouble already been started, Luke Will said. When niggers start shooting down white men in broad daylight, the trouble was started. Then we don't need your kind to settle it. Somebody got to do it before it gets out of hand, Luke Will said. Next thing you know, they'll be raping the women. That's how it is, Russ said to me. If they can't get you one way, they'll bring in the women every time. Maybe you don't mind if they rape your wife or your little daughter, Luke Will said. Maybe something like that's been going on all the time and you just don't care. He grinned at Russ. He wanted Russ to take a swing at him, but Russ was too cool for that. You see the psychology behind it all, he said to me. But I kept my mouth shut. I wasn't going to say a word with those two standing there. I wasn't even going to breathe out of my mouth. You and your kind. Your time has passed, Luke Will, Russ said. It ain't my time you better worry about, Luke Will said. I'll be around when you and your kind are long gone. You might kill him off in there, he said to Gil, but I'm going to be around. Let's go, Sharp. 
they let the screen door slam behind them. They were both big men, big country rednecks, the kind Bull Connor used as his deputies back there in the 60s. They went across the road to a white pickup, which had a gun rack in the cab and two guns on the rack. The truck also had a CB radio, and Luke Will got on the radio and began talking. The other guy, Sharp, started up the truck and drove away. We watched it go down the road. What are you going to do? Russ asked Gil. I don't know, Gil said. You want my opinion? Russ said. Go back to Baton Rouge. Try to get yourself some rest and play football tomorrow. Play the best game you ever played in your life. Gil looked at Russ as if he couldn't believe what he had heard him say. What? He said. My brother is dead, Papa in there hating me, Claude hating me, Dowsett, Tebow hating me. And you talk about a football game? Are you crazy? There isn't a thing you can do here tonight, Russ said. Tomorrow you can do something for yourself and for all the rest of us. Play the best game you ever played. Luke Will and his kind don't want to see you and Pepper in that backfield tomorrow. He doesn't ever want to see you and Pepper together. And what about my brother? Gil asked. Claude, Papa, Dowsett, and Tebow. How would it look to them? Russ shrugged his shoulders and shook his head. A lot wouldn't understand. Maybe would hate it. But that game is going to be seen on TV by millions, and the more of them will, and more of them will be pulling for you and Pepper than pulling against you. Damn the public, Gil said. I'm talking about my family, not the damn public, my family. I'm thinking about your family too. Russ said, especially Tebow. And Papa? Gil asked Russ. Tebow, Russ told him. Tebow, Tebow's future. You want to do something for your dead brother? Do something for his son's future. Play in that game tomorrow. Whether you win against Ole Miss or not, you'll beat Luke Will. Because if you don't, he'll win tomorrow. And if he does, he may just keep on winning. That's not much of a future for Tebow, is it? What about my papa? Gil asked. I've already killed him. Bury him tomorrow? Russ laid his hand on Gil's shoulder. Gilly, he said, sometimes you got to hurt something to help something. Sometimes you have to plow under one thing in order for something else to grow. You can help Tebow tomorrow. You can help this country tomorrow. You can help yourself. Gil looked away from him. Well, Russ said, no more speeches. I have to report to Mapes. I'll be out of I'll be out there in the car if you want to talk. He left the porch, loosening his tie. Halfway to the road, he had already taken off the tie and the coat. He hung them on the hanger in the back seat of the car. Then he got in front to speak on the radio. He is right, Gil, I said. We ought to go back. Gil didn't answer me. He was looking across the road toward the trees along the bayou. The sun had sunk a little below the thin layer of purple cloud. What you say, Gil? Leave me alone, he said. I just want to think, damn it. Don't you see? I just want to think. That'll do it for Chapter 12, Sully, of Ernest J. Gaines, A Gathering of Old Men. I really, really love that chapter. It reminds me a little bit of um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, if you remember that novel where Big Daddy and his son, either his name was Biff or Buff, I can't quite remember, but the scene here with Fix 
and Gil very much reminds me of that scene from Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. Anyway, thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. I really, really appreciate it. Until next time.